Our passage this morning addresses a topic that it's, it's really close to home. This morning, we're going to be talking about sexual immorality. Not the most comfortable of topics for, uh, for me to preach on, <laughs> and probably not the most comfortable of topics for you to hear me preach on. But that's where Ephesians takes us this morning, so that is where we're going. Sexual immorality is, is understood as perversions of sex, using sex for something other than what God intended it for. Sex outside of marriage, adultery, homosexuality, prostitution, pornography, bestiality. The Bible considers all of this sexual immorality. It says it's wrong. And in today's culture, these ideas, this, this expression, it's not, it's not very acceptable, right? And that's part of what we're going to talk about this morning, as well as what the gospel has to say for those of us who have fallen into one or all of these sins. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 20, we read the word of the Lord. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead... Let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetousness, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord." Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that the will, what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Thus ends the reading of the word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. I pray in your name. Amen. So Paul writes this passage to the people of Ephesus back in A.D. 62. Long, long time ago, right? And in Ephesus was the temple of Artemis, which is considered one of the wonders of the ancient world. Artemis was considered the goddess of fertility and is believed to be the most worshipped of all the Greek deities in Asia and perhaps the world during Paul's time. Artemis was a virgin, and, and hundreds of eunuch priests and virgin priestesses served her. 
But they were accompanied by many religious prostitutes, and the worship rituals of Artemis were quite erotic. This is the initial audience of Paul's letter. A people in a city known for its worship of the goddess of fertility, and the worship practices themselves being very scandalous. A people surrounded by temptations, particularly the sexual temptations of the world. Though I'm sure they could isolate themselves for a time, eventually they came face to face with the reality of the world they lived in. They could not escape it forever. Almost anywhere they looked was a reminder, for they lived in the beating heart of sexual immorality in the ancient world. Paul speaks truth to the Ephesians about the dangers of sexual immorality, the traps and the snares, and where embracing that road leads. And his words hit our hearts today just as accurately as they hit those of the people in the church in Ephesus. For the immoral heart of the world around us matches that of the immoral heart of Ephesus, beat for beat. It's hard to go just about anywhere without having sex and sexual agendas thrown at us. Whether we leave the house or not, it's everywhere. Pictures on Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, websites, our email, HBO, the news, Netflix, Hulu, the movies, magazines, books, advertisements for clothes, makeup, perfume, sports billboards. As we're driving down the road and on the sides of buses as they pass, we're told sex is good. We're told sex is for our enjoyment, and those things are true. But they are true within God's plan for them. The one who created sex intended that goodness and that enjoyment to be shared between a married couple, to be shared between husband and wife, to be part of that relationship and only that relationship. Our sex-saturated society tells us otherwise. We are told through movies, TV, books, and other outside influences. I mean, we can just see how the stars live. We, we can't seem to not see how the stars live uh, these days. That we're, we're told the message that we're, we're given is that sex is casual. Sex is for our personal enjoyment. That it's about us and what we want and what we desire and feel. We're told that sex is a part of our identity. And and since it's about us, we can explore our sexuality to any and every extent that is available to us. And what's more, that it's, it's good for us to do just that. These are some of the lies of sexual immorality. And there's a part of us that wants to believe these lies. Because it sounds good. It sounds good. On our base, natural level, these lies are exactly what we want to hear. Because we want to satisfy the cravings of the flesh. Paul, in our passage today, is speaking directly to that voice, that longing that each of us has for sexually immoral things. Paul recognizes the temptations. He recognizes the inner desires to sin, to wrap ourselves up in in sexual immorality. And he recognizes how we as humans try to justify our sin. We try to make it okay. Like like that's how, I mean, we're not sinning if it's okay, right? And it's not a bad thing. We, We try to justify it. We try to make the wrong that we want to do acceptable. How can I make this sin acceptable? How can I make it okay? And we see this in the world 
We also see it in some of our churches. We put more focus on God's love than we do on his law. We put the emphasis on how much God cares about us so that we can disregard the truth about how he wants us to live. This inclusion belief, this understanding of God's love over and above everything else was made so clear in a story that broke this past week about a church up in Canada. Reverend Greta Vosper is the pastor of West Hill United Church in Toronto, Canada. She has served the church since 1997, so for the past 21 years. And in the story, or if the story ended there, that would be great, but it doesn't. You see, Greta Vosper is an atheist. She didn't start out that way, but through her time in ministry, there were things that she just couldn't reconcile about God anymore. And so she walked away from her faith. And yet she still wants to be the pastor at West Hill. Understandably, this this started quite a stir. (laughs) There were legal proceedings put into motion, and this past week they settled out of court. And as part of the settlement, Vosper, though she is an atheist, will continue to be the pastor at West Hill United Church in Toronto. How can that be? How can a pastor not believe that there is a God? Why didn't the United Church step in and put their foot down on this issue? Reverend Richard Bott, who was elected this past July to lead the denomination, said that he was happy about the resolution and referenced the church's core values of faith in God and inclusiveness. Those are the church's core values, faith in God and inclusiveness. Here is a quote from Bott. The dance between these core values, how they interact with and inform each other, is one that we continue to explore as followers of Jesus and children of the Creator. The core values of this church were faith in God and inclusiveness. Inclusiveness. Accepting and including everyone, no matter what they believe or how they believe. Where do we see this in Scripture? Where does the Bible tell us that you can live how you want, you can believe whatever you want, and because of God's love, everything is okay? Often, we point to the gospel. We point to God's grace and his love. Because if he's a God of love, how can anything bad happen? Like that, that's where we want to go. We want to go to the gospel. But the gospel is not a message of God's inclusion without change. It's not a message of God's inclusion without change. Paul is making this very clear in our text this morning. Do not live this way, he says. Furthermore, he's saying that all who do live this way have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now, he's not saying that any misstep disqualifies us from heaven and forgiveness. What he's saying is that if you are disregarding God's direction, direction given to us in the Bible, his call on your life, and living out your sinful desires with unrepentant, reckless abandon, then you aren't going to heaven. Having an affair, cheating on your spouse, or sleeping with your significant other whom you're not married to is not going to give you a one-way ticket to hell. 
However, being unrepentant of this sin, continuing to live in it, even when you know you shouldn't, ignoring God's instruction, his desire for your life, Paul is saying that is a road with a very unhappy destination. And knowing this, we as the church can sometimes go too far. For just as the gospel is not a message of God's inclusion without change, the gospel is not a message of change before inclusion either. It's not a message of change before inclusion either. God's not expecting us to get all of our act together to be doing all the right things before we can be part of his family. And sometimes we in the church can forget this. This past week, Pastor Antonio Rockmore of Powerhouse International Ministries in Chicago has received backlash after he publicly rebuked a man who attended the Sunday morning service dressed as a woman. Pastor Rockmore stopped his sermon halfway through and called out the young man, He said, can you leave my church and go put on man clothes? Don't come here dressed like that anymore. Shortly after addressing the congregation, Pastor Rockmore said, I hold a standard in here. Whatever you do on the outside is your business, but I will not let drag queens come in here. And if you're going to come in here, you're going to dress like a man. When you come in this house, if you're a man, dress like a man. If you're a woman, you dress like a woman. I'm not going to allow it. My salvation is more important, and God is holding me accountable. I about cried when I read that story. My salvation is more important, and God is holding me accountable. Please find me that in the Bible. That we are accountable for how someone else dresses in our church. That God is going to condemn me as your pastor if someone in this church is living in sexual immorality. Because if that's the case, man, I'm in a real bad spot. I'm unable to maintain my own salvation. There is no way that you will be able to maintain my salvation. But sometimes as churches, as Christians, we can fall into some of this line of thinking That to be part of the family of God, we have to get all of our stuff together. We have to be good. We have to obey. We have to do all the right things at the right times. It's exhausting and it's unfair to us and to the people that we are holding to a standard that doesn't apply to them. Now, the man in woman's clothes was not a first-time visitor. He had come dressed in drag before, and Rockmore had asked him not to in private before calling him out before the whole church. And we may see that as okay since he did it in private first. But it's not okay. This man isn't a Christian. He's a hurting soul. And we're humiliating him and kicking him out of the church. The place he's supposed to come to hear the life-changing good news of Jesus Christ. We're embarrassing him and kicking him out because he isn't meeting a standard. Whether it's cross-dressing or homosexuality or adultery or sex before marriage or prostitution or being a porn star or whatever particular brand of sexual immorality a person may have committed or be committing. They are not expected to have their act act cleaned up before they can enter a church, before they can come to faith. Because that's not the gospel. So the gospel is not a message of God's inclusion without change. 
And it's not a message of personal change before inclusion. So what is it? The gospel is a message of God's salvation with the power to change. The gospel is a message of God's salvation with the power to change. Change needs to happen in each of our lives. Contentedly living in our sin is not okay. But it is God who gives us the power and the ability to change. We can't do it on our own. It is not acceptable for us to continue to live in sin, to disregard the instruction of God and to live in unrepentance. It is also not possible for us to affect this change in our lives to be good and pleasing to God of our own effort. So God sent Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life for us, who was perfect, who was tempted in the ways that we are, but resisted all of that temptation perfectly, who after living a sinless, shameless life, took all of the sin and all of the shame of the world, yours, mine, Everyone's took it all to the cross and paid for it with his death and then conquered it with his resurrection from the dead. And when we believe this, that we needed it and that he fulfilled it, that we have clothed ourselves in Christ and his righteousness and his goodness have been given to us on his account. And through baptism, we are given faith. And the Holy Spirit comes upon us and he is our guide and he is our counselor. He gives us the desire and the ability to fight against our sinful desires, the sexual immorality, among other things that rise within us. This is the gospel. God loving his people so much, not that he would overlook their sin, but that he would arrange payment for their sin, for our sin. A payment that cost us nothing, but the price God paid was incredibly steep. It cost him the life of his son. I love verse 8 in our passage this morning. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. This is who you once were. You were darkness. You were lost in all of these things that are bad for you, that are unhealthy for you, that God doesn't want you caught up in. You were lost in the cravings of your sinful flesh. But now, because of the Lord, because of faith in Jesus, you are light. Because of faith in Christ, you are acceptable. You are forgiven. You are righteous. And so because of this righteousness that you have been given in faith, walk in the light. As you come against the temptations presented to you by the world and the temptations that arise from you in your own sinful desires, resist, avoid contact, run. Pull a Joseph, get out of there. The call to resist the desires of the sinful nature reminds me of a story I heard about a little boy in a cookie jar. The little boy's mother had just baked a fresh batch of cookies and placed them in a cookie jar, giving instructions that no one, you know, no one touched them until after dinner. But it wasn't that long before she heard the lid of the jar move and she called out, My son, what are you doing? To which a meek voice called back, 
My hand is in the cookie jar resisting temptation. We want to get so close. We put ourselves in situations that are almost impossible to get back from. Once your hand is in the cookie jar, it is that much harder to resist the temptation of snatching up the forbidden cookie. Don't take off the lid. Lean on the Holy Spirit and run from temptations. Run from that which society tells us is okay, but scripture tells us is sin. Try not to even indulge a little, for some exposure can lead to more exposure, and more exposure can lead to desensitization. Alexander Pope wrote a poem talking about this effect. Vice is a monster of such frightful mien that to be hated needs but to be seen, but seen too often, familiar with his face, we first endure, then pity, and then embrace. How true is that? The vices of sexual immorality that we once hated, that made us uncomfortable when we saw them on display or heard of them through hushed whisper, become less and less repulsive with continued exposure. And exposure is not something that we lack. As we talked about earlier, sexual immorality is all around us. It is championed by our culture. It is heralded as acceptable, as natural. So guard yourself. Run when you can. Don't get closer than you need to or than you should. Recognize the warning signs. There are open cookie jars all around us. Easy access. But when the cookies are removed from the jar, the sweetness soon soon turns to rot and the decay is shared by the hand that picked them. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God for forgiveness. When you have taken that cookie that you know you weren't supposed to, when sin and temptation win the battle, when you act out on your sexually immoral desires, repent. Know that God loves you and has forgiven you. Know that the blood of Jesus Christ has made full satisfaction for all of your sins and ask forgiveness and know that it will not be denied. Know that through faith in Jesus, you have been given the righteousness of God and that when God looks on you, he sees not you and the horrible things you have done. He sees Jesus and the perfect things that he has done. Repent. Recognize the wrongdoing. Repent, resist, walk in the light. Amen.